Welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated, as always, exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. Today we are joined by not just regular old, plain, vanilla co-host Kovac Koblu. Instead, we are joined by extra special French vanilla, now with a little extra vanilla and a little extra sugar added, Kova Go Blue. He is not just any magic player. He is, in fact, not only the number one and best of one, but he officially finally reached actual number one in best of one. Kova Go Blue, how are you doing today? Uh, it's like being a whole new person, quite honestly. I uh, woke up this morning in a whole new house, living a whole new life with a whole new weather outside. None of that's true. But sometimes it feels that way. But let me ask you something, Arjuna. All right. Let me right ask you me. something. This is this is a very crucial question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Are you recording? Yes. You didn't ask me, but Damn. I am. Oh, yes. <laughs> you did it. I'm recording, and I didn't need to be reminded. Next that level, is how you. That is how you know I have not only transcended Magic the <laughs> Gathering, but podcasting itself. I am now the one in Best of One who hit number one. You know, I've, you've you've transcended covert go blue, and you've become covert go white. <laughs> okay, you've defeated the Balrog, and you've come back to us. <laughs> Anybody who's seen me dance will tell you I've always been this white. Fair, fair enough. You got to work what you were given. So yeah, so basically today we have a few exciting things to talk about. We are going to go over CGB's run to number one. And also, we've had some anthology, historic anthology news drop. I don't know, CGB. I feel like this is literally just going to be the spoiler podcast until the end of time. Yeah, there's always new cards to talk about. We'll probably do a time spiral set review for no reason, even though it's not on MTG Arena, right? Just to make our three boomer listeners happy. I mean, you can, you can see the formula, right? Wizards is now saying more cards is more money. And they're finding ways to do product releases for Arena, product releases for Paper, product releases from Secret Lair, just in a never-ending cycle at this point. If you want to collect Magic cards, you need a weekly allowance to do so. It's the fact of the... It's the fact right now. It's just the way it is. Absolutely. So, I mean, the good news is it always gives us stuff to talk about, stuff to be, you know, agape at or disappointed by. And there's nothing that Magic players like more than being in one of those two modes. So, yeah, we're going to talk about those two things today. Uh, Very exciting. I actually am just remembering that I'm trying to get better about... Questions? Questions. Yes. So, the real question we're going to answer this week comes from Matosh. In our Discord, you too can ask a question in Discord whenever you like. This this is a fun one. What are some of your favorite cards that are not standard playable due to them being weak, lacking synergy, etc.? Ah, it's not a fun one. These are the cards I look at every day, spend... I can't tell you how many hours building decks around and then end up deleting them in a fit of rage and frustration, you know? Like the very, you know, the, you know, this feeling you spend a lot of time theory crafting a deck. You go into the queue, your opponent opens with turn one rune crap and you just are like, I, I, I guess I'll right. scoop. Yeah. Like I can't, I'm not, not going to win. Yep. Yeah. I can't win. <laughs> it's over. I may as well have like, I, this is a waste of my life. 
Um, those cards. In the most recent set, Kazuma is definitely on there. Uh, I, I have trouble... I have trouble reconciling the fact that the card's not good because it feels so good when it works. So good, in fact, I started playing Brawl just to play that card and Commander. Oh, do I love making people miserable in the singleton formats. But in Standard, it just, it's not, it's not enough, man. You can't, you can't take any time off and everything you do has to impact the board. And even if it only impacts it for a turn, it's not enough. It has to have like lasting impact on the board. And I guess the other one that's driving me crazy right now is Ascendant Spirit. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's clearly the snow card that looks the most pushed in terms of mm-hmm. a card that they clearly just wanted to go straight into standard and start tearing stuff up. But it's it's just, yeah, it's not getting there. You can't invest the mana in it. It yeah. never pays off. It never works out. It's always a trap. It's 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 a 1-1 that sits there, and if you're lucky, its biggest contribution to the game is the opponent has to play awkwardly for a few turns. Here's the thing. Okay, so mana sinks are good in Magic, but for a card to have to have a lot of mana sunk into it before it's even remotely good, that's pretty rough. If the card that you got after the initial spend was okay... It would be a little bit better, but like a 2-3 is just, you know, you spend three mana for a 2-3, and that's just not hot, man. It's really not. By comparison, you can put six mana into this to make it a 4-4 that flies, I believe, or you can have a land that for three mana turns into a 4-3 attacker that can still be tapped for mana every turn that you've you've played it. Yeah. Like, Faceless Haven is, it's so by far, like, the... It's not the best card in the set, I would say, but it's it's the one that seems to matter. It's the, the most. best snow card. It's in, by in the far set. the best snow card. It's the yeah. only reason to play a snow card. Well, quite which is that really brings me to my answer for this, which is I, like just the other day, I was like, oh, man, are we sure that snow is not playable and standard? So I put together a Saltai snow deck. It had all, oh, yeah. of, you know, it had all the stuff in it. It looked pretty tight. I covered all the angles. I did all my homework, and then I was just like, oh. Tapland into Tapland into like two turns behind the rest of the matter, basically. And yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're describing is every Wednesday night for me. <laughs> okay. Saltai Snow. Let's do it. Jordan Snow. Let's get that staff going. Play a free card from our graveyard every turn. Value. And it just. Nope. Sick draft nope. deck, bro. Yeah. And you know what's tragic about it? We're probably not getting more snow. No. I like know. standard is standard is never going to play this. It, back when we had blocks, there was always like they're going to turn it up to eleven in the next block. Those Jorns I crafted have a future. I don't have to feel bad now. I'm just like, nope, no future. It's over. I wish the snow duels were just a little bit more playable. You know, couldn't they have said something like maybe this land comes into play untapped if you control another snow permanent or maybe another yeah. two snow permanents, right? Yeah. That would, now we'd be talking. But then you can't make them common. You have to make that a rare. Yeah, uh, that's probably And they true. already had the pathways. Bummer, man. Yeah, so anyway, so snow, unfortunately, it wasn't even like a near miss either. You know, it was like a hard miss, which is rough. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that that probably covers it for me. Another card, which now you would probably argue with me on this one, but I haven't really seen it show up in like competitive. Yorian is playable. <laughs> well, don't even. I, you know, I decided to avoid even bringing that one up. 
I, I knew I knew that that would be a B in your bonnet, but let's compromise with Nico Aris. I feel like Nico, maybe it's just not a best of three card. Maybe it's time has not come to shine yet. I still think it's a very good card, but I, I've just been a little bit, I feel like Nico is like just waiting for that time to shine, you know? I agree. I, I, I've only got one good home for it, and I think it's an underrated home, but there's there's a very good reason that the white blue decks aren't successful right now it's because there's just too much to answer Uh, there's just too many different style of threats red presents a very different style of threat and attack from mono white and like doomscar is an absolute joke against mono white uh so and doomscar is an absolute joke against annex and faceless haven too so for the most part, blue-white just doesn't have it. And that's really what holds Nico back, because it is a decent card, uh, for sure. I-, I love playing with it. Let me ask you this, Kovaco Blue. What is your answer in a strictly Azorius deck to Faceless Haven that is not Field of Ruin? Uh, Field of Ruin... <laughs> and that's the end <laughs> of the list. <laughs> Four of them in my uh, blue-white deck right now. Yeah, uh... There is another answer, and I use it in best of one. I fay of wishes for my sorcerer's spyglass. Oh, devious! So they just mm-hmm. can't—they can't activate it. Yep. Yep. That's clever. That's clever. But yeah, that card is just a nightmare for like old school control mages everywhere. It is. Okay. Well, thanks for that question, Matosh. You too can ask a lightning round question on the show by going to our Discord and asking it. And now let's transition into dun, 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 training montage, the conversation about how your very own Kovaco Blue managed to climb all the way to the top of the mythic ladder. CGB, you know what? You, okay, you know what my favorite thing about this is? I'm sure, I'm sure I can guess, but, but please tell me. For the amount of trash that you have talked on white life game decks only since i've known you this is just since i've known you i'm sure this is not the beginning of the conversation (laughs) i i have i have at least a decade to uh atone for a backlog trash talk on mono white the only deeper irony of course would be if you did it with a mono red deck but i i would put this like it's set in in the solid like second list for most ironic decks i could imagine cgb reaching number one with so I, I just had to take a moment to appreciate that. But CGB, I'd love to hear just your recounting of what the process was and how you did it. Sure. Uh, it begins on day one of the Mythic Qualifier, where I went three and three and didn't have a particularly good day. So I had a lot of rage built up inside me. <laughs> so uh, what happened is the very next day, the season reset. And when the season resets... Uh, it's probably the best time if you're going to concern yourself with the number that you hit in Mythic to try to hit Mythic. There's a group of people, Rumty among them, who is most, who I think has done it the most. I think at least three times he's been number one Mythic doing this. Pe- try to speed run to Mythic because the first people there get the highest number. So I didn't set out to do that. What I set out was, what I set out to do is I said I was going to make content around five decks that I thought could get you to Mythic the fastest at the start of the season which I thought would some people would appreciate. And I didn't concern myself with what I usually concern myself with in content and deck building, which is A, cards I like to play, and B, uh, I did not concern myself with whether or not there were new cards. 
And removing those constraints, just looking for linear strategies that are going to get you to Mythic fast. The thing I gravitated to right away was Mono White, but I realized that the meta for Best of One was much better for a kind of two months ago, almost very, like very close to what I played in December, I think, uh, Mono White list that was all about the life game, Heliod. Daxos, Speaker of the Heavens. So take us a little bit into why you drew that conclusion at this particular time. Okay, so this was while the MPL League weekend was going on, but in the lead-up to that weekend, LSV revealed that he was playing mono-red aggro along with a good amount of his team, and they revealed their list for the snow-red aggro deck. I've been saying that that deck, the Snow Red Aggro, Faceless Haven Red Aggro with Frostbite as the other snow card, I've been saying that deck is really good since the release event, since the early access event where I kind of smashed some people with it. But Mono Red, like, they, they just, they, they, they don't look for the new technology that much. They just fire up, do dailies, log off. So as soon as a pro drops a new bomb of uh this is the list you should be playing in mono red people are going to jump on it and sure enough mono red had been like number two which is low for it it's usually always the number one deck in best of one meta percentage wise this is from mtga assistant a tracker by the way uh that works with aether hub a website so mono red had fallen to number two as soon as like lsv reveals that he's playing it for League Weekend, it jumped back to number one over Mono White by a significant amount to be the most played deck on ladder. And it's also a new ladder. People want to get back to Mythic. And since the very beginning of Magic Arena, the deck they always use is Mono Red. Like, just ask, just just look around and ask anybody who's done this multiple seasons. They all get pushed back down to Platinum. They look, their their little number isn't, you know, the same color it was before, and they try to get back and they grab Trusty Mono Red and away they go. This Life Gain deck, the build of Life Gain with Daxos and Heliod, destroys Mono Red. I my final numbers were, I believe, 26 and 5. And I remember two of the games I lost, I was raging because I never drew a third land in them. Like, like, <laughs> a lot. It destroys Mono Red. That's why the title of my video was Farms Mono Red. <laughs> well, it's like an 80% win rate or something like that. Oh, it's gross. Yeah. Not only that, you just never block them until you have a Sky Maul on an absurdly huge creature. An absurdly huge life linker, typically. So is the reason that the matchup's good just that in addition to building a board and doing all the other normal stuff, you're just gaining an absurd amount of life? Is that what edges you out over mono red as opposed to like a mono white snow deck? It's the combination of life and size. Mm. So the snow deck, the snow mono white deck is good, but its creatures don't get bigger as the game goes on. Uh, aside from the one time you equip the Sky Maul to them, or you equip the Halvar Sword, they might gain double strike, you know? But the creatures don't grow. I suppose occasionally with the, the Luminarch Aspirant, maybe. Yeah, if that goes unchecked, mm -hmm. which, like, if that happens, you're probably winning anyway. It means your opponent can't remove anything. Right. Right? So, but for the most part, aside from the occasional Luminarch Aspirant that sticks around or comes back later from Alluris and is protected, their creatures don't generally grow. But the life gain deck is just, it's, it's gaining life and growing every, every single turn. Every turn, something gets bigger. They have Luminarch as well. They have Heliod. And if you're doing it right, 
the size just gets bigger and bigger every turn. And it just outscales what the other creature decks can do. It has a good matchup against pretty much all of the creature decks, mono red especially, but also really good against mono green and decent in the mono white snow versus regular white mirror match. Not quite mirror match. You know what I mean. So very, very good against aggro. Now how's the matchup against control? Oh, you know, it scoops to uh, turn four shadows verdict. Like just hard scoops to it. But the whole, if you take yourself back a week in the metagame, the whole talk was that Sultai ultimatum is unplayable now because mono red and mono white are so good. Right. Like that's where we were. Yep. So so you came to the part of the format where paper is beating rock and scissors isn't coming after paper, basically. Oh yeah. There there was some Yorian on my climb. I think my final numbers against Yorian were five and seven, which isn't isn't as bad as it could be. There were plenty of times where they didn't have the verdict, but yeah, when they cultivated into verdict, I scooped and went to the next game. Um, but that's not that much of the latter, and it was my acceptable trade-off. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I, I'm always interested in this, right? How do we ascertain when a deck is going to be good in the meta game? And I think you laid out pretty clearly for us that, you know, I'm playing a creature deck which is good against other creature decks and those other creature decks are holding down the decks that are good against my deck and so that mm-hmm. opens up the perfect window to go on a streak. That's the thesis, yep. The next thing to remember is when you're right, when your thesis turns out perfectly right, double down. Mm, you know? Yeah. Because you don't get you don't get it right that often. Like I maybe every 3 months I'll get something like this right where I have the right deck at the right time. Um, and I'm able to win streak because let's be honest, there's so much variance in magic and in best of one. And if you just play a net deck that is known, you don't have that much edge, right? You, you pretty much have to win die rolls to win streak for the most part. You have to draw well, you have to be on the play a lot, then you can win streak. If you actually figure out that you're in a spot in the metagame and you have the right deck and you're winning regardless of play draw... Like, I was on the draw 64 times in my run, and I was on the play 51 times. Normally, that's not very good for an aggro strategy, but I had a matchup advantage. So I made my video, which usually takes me like an hour, and I flew through Platinum really fast, and it was like, okay, not only did I get it right, like, I got it really right. I'm I'm just destroying the ladder right now. So I decided to just see, get the mythic thing done. Because it's like, now I don't have to worry about when I hit Mythic th- uh, this this month. So I'll just push Mythic. I'll just fly through Diamond because I, I feel like I can. And I did. Um, just smashed my way through Diamond very quickly. Took me, I, I think I'm about seven hours in, maybe eight hours into my day at that point. I just flew through Platinum and Diamond. I did, I did take breaks, so I didn't keep track of exactly how much time it took. But when I hit Mythic, I had already lost to somebody who was number 17 in Mythic. Like, I, they got paired down against me. So I knew at least 17 people had already hit Mythic. So I expected to come in around 20, something like that, which would have been fine, and I would have called it a night. When I hit Mythic, I came in at number three. Ooh, all which right. Is t- yeah, which is like, that's a combination of who you beat and your win rate, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's tied for the highest I've ever been. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it was about midnight. I usually go to bed about two in the morning. I'm like, let's do this. I hit record. Let's go. 
and it was a really strange video. You can watch it on my channel if you want, but I won, I won like five games and lost one game and stayed at number three throughout with every win. That's what I remember. <laughs> and then, and then you just like jumped all of a sudden into number one, right? Yep. Yep. And yeah. then it happened and I didn't ex like it happened and I wasn't even thinking very much about it. And, and it did, it, it jumped straight from number three to number one in one game. I, I love that that was caught on video because I feel like we all imagine that the first time we're going to hit number one, it's going to be this long, hard slog and you've got it in your sights and you've got it in your sights and you're number two for 10 games. And finally you get there. Right. And so I love that it yeah. was just kind of like, Oops, oh, I came out at number three. Okay, I played five games. Oh, crap. Okay, I'm number one. It's just, <laughs> it just yeah. kind of happened. Not only that, the game itself was, I, I mean, this is the god draw potential of Magic the Gathering. Like, it was the best draw I had the whole day. I, I, I'm on the play, turn one speaker, turn two dog and speaker. My opponent goes turn two heartless act, dog counters it. Turn three, radiant fountain, sky mall. If you're keeping track, that's 27 life, make two angels. That is 12 power and toughness staring down the opponent on turn three, their turn two, through a heartless act. Yeah, that is brutal, man. <laughs> and they brutal. scooped. You know, the only stronger opening I've seen in the Mono White Life game came from yours truly, battering down CGD's We don't need to talk face. about this. We don't need to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> you had triple speaker into Linden on the play. That's what that was. Uh, with Lara's backup, man. That was... Anyway, talk about a deck that can just freaking slam the door, man. If, if there's one deck I've seen that can just lull you right out of a game, it's definitely that life gain deck. Well done, CGB. Well done. It's also good to just remember that the mythic ladder behaves very different depending on how far into the season you are. It does. You know, and so that's why, like, whenever I see anyone get number one towards the end of the month, I'm like, wow, like, this person deserves freaking a champagne and to be hoisted on the shoulders through the town, you know, because it's like you've spent all month working on that ELO. But it's not to diminish. I mean, anyone who reaches number one at any point is a huge achievement. So congratulations, buddy. Thank you. I will, like, on that note, I'm not going to be defensive of that whatsoever. You're totally right. Uh, I definitely shot my shot when the pool was shallow, but it, I, did re I did make the right call and recognize it was the right call and wrote it to where I wanted to go for the content, of course, and uh, for the fans. I think also, truthfully, I convinced myself a long time ago that I didn't want to care about number one mythic and getting there very much because... It is such a, like, it, it's very much an odds are stacked against you. It feels like an uphill battle. It feels like a rigged game. You don't want to take it too seriously or it will mess with you. But when I had my shot to take it, I did. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Back when they released the ladder and the rankings, I had a full-time job back then. I couldn't take a day off to take a shot at number one. I wish I had. Back then, the ladder was only best of one. And I didn't hit very high in the ladder back then. It always took me like all month just to get there. But I'd, since then, I don't know if anybody's done this in best of one because the numbers are insane. Did you know in the days since I was best, since I was number one? So I hit number one mythic. This is my game since that day. On ladder, I am 22 and six since hitting number one. And what's what your do rank? You, you want to know? <laughs> 
Should I guess? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I'm guessing you're in the 20s. Close. I, I finished at 18 today. Okay. <laughs> That's brutal, man. Yes. <laughs> Start at number one, win, what, two-thirds or three-quarters of your matches. And 22 drop. and 6? That's not... That's not for best of one. Like you can't expect much better. No, you really no, can't. That, and that's an better than the win rate, rate on my climb. It's an yeah. insane win rate. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's just why when people, you know, make these posts being like, anyone can hit number one with a 51% win rate in enough time. I'm just like, like what universe do you people live in? Yeah, that, that is not <laughs> close to accurate. It really isn't. It's like saying anyone can win the pro tour with a 51% win rating if they just play enough Pro Tours, which is like, okay, yes, if we if we take that logic to the extreme, but it is as likely as the monkey typewriter thesis. So <laughs> no, Yeah, you absolutely, like, if, if you're just going to take a one-shot sneak in, grab number one, grab a screenshot and get out, you have to pick your time. Yeah. You have to be lucky enough. You have to be available. You have to have your deck right. Like every, Like, it has to line up really perfectly. Yeah. And if, as far as just staying in top 10 and grinding for it, like in best of three, if you wanted to do it, what some would call the more honorable way, the, the pure skill ELO way, that is a full-time job with no days off. I, I, I went to bed at number one. I woke up my 10 hours later at number four. Like if you want to just stay in top 10, you don't just get to camp it. I got a million comments like that. Just camp it. Uh, it is a full-time job with no off days if you just want to stay top 10 Mythic. Some streamers and MPL members might do it, but most of us, that's not realistic. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're trying out different stuff and trying to have fun and don't want to spend a month playing the same deck, right? Right. It helps to pave the way for other people to just understand that there is a really good opportunity at the beginning of the month to do it some people listening to this might be closer to it than they realize i think that's really awesome congratulations cgb now dun, 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 it is time for us to talk about historic which we actually we have not really discussed historic since the release of kaldheim so perhaps looking at some of these cards will kind of jog our memories into the format i honestly have played no historic since the release of Kaldheim because Standard has been so much fun and because Historic was basically my refuge for months away from a Standard that I wasn't enjoying playing. So I'm, you know, as soon as Standard's back on the menu, I'm all about it. Uh, how about you, CGB? Have you played Historic much at all? No, I haven't. And the ban of Uro didn't spark my interest because a lot of the decks I don't want to play against and cards I don't want to play against are still there. Cauldron Familiar being like a key. I don't want to play this when I see it. It's on a rune crab level for me at this point where when that's your lead on turn one, I just already wish I were anywhere else other than playing this game I'm trying to enjoy. So uh, I, I have avoided historic and it, I think it's in need of a shakeup, and I think that Historic is going to be very challenged for shakeups because it contains these broken sets that we've dealt with for a few years, right? So uh, I think my big question looking over this list for Historic Anthology 4, which is going to be introduced on March 11th, is does this shakeup Historic? Does this impact the format? Yes or no? Or is this what we've seen in the past 
where they give you a good amount of nostalgia, but maybe not necessarily the most powerful cards. And so far from looking through this list, they've definitely put some bangers in here. They've saved the best for last as well. I think that this will definitely have an impact on the format. How far ranging it is, is, you know, remains to be seen. But they are, they're definitely throwing in some favorites from the past. So without further ado, why don't we just get into it, CGB? Why don't you start with this first card here for us? The first card on the list is Triumphant Reckoning. This is six white, white, white for a total of nine mana, mythic, sorcery. And it says you win the game, or at least it better. What it actually says is return all artifact, enchantment, and planeswalker cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is a Commander Legends card, Mm -hmm. I think. It looks like a very Commander-y card to me. Yeah, this was printed very recently in Commander Legends at the end of last year, which if we're, I mean, I I know it's a Historic Anthologies card, but I'm kind of like, can we get some Commander cards in in Arena? I'm okay with that. I always wanted, I wanted the Commander Legends cards in Arena when they were being previewed very badly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, of course, this is a spell that you're probably going to want to cheat out somehow. The first thing that came to my mind with this was Emergent Ultimatum, (laughs) just because I've been playing that card a lot. But I I think that's probably not what we're going to be doing here, because this card actually wants you to have spent the entire game building up some kind of stuff in your graveyard. I don't know. This card looks mostly like a meme to me, CGB, but maybe there's some kind of combo deck which can A, fill the yard, and B, cheat this out. I feel like if this card were good, people would have made Eerie Ultimatum decks that work. Mm, they Because do. it's basically that yeah. for two mana cheaper with slightly difficult cost requirements, but it would be worth it, right? I, I feel like a card like this that requires you to both fill your graveyard and probably ramp and find a way to cheat it is asking too much. Yeah, I agree. But just still a cool card, powerful card, and it looks like they it's not the only super expensive card of its nature they've printed. So so we'll keep moving here and, and, and find out. Um, next card on the list is a personal favorite of mine, a card which was released around the time I came back to Magic, and a very strong card in its own right. So Declaration in Stone, one and a white sorcery at rare. Exile target creature and all other creatures its controller controls with the same name as that creature. That player investigates for each non-token creature exiled this way. And you know what's most exciting about this to me, CGB? Investigations! Investigate! This is the return of clues, or, or the introduction of clues, as it were, to MTG Arena. I think I'm pretty sure this is the the two... Clue cards we're about to look at here are the the first clues, I think, that are going to be on Arena, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yep. So, you're right. Investigating basically creates an artifact token, and the artifact token says pay two, tap, and sack it to draw a card. Um, So, I was a super fan of this mechanic. Now, of course, when you cast this card, you're not excited about investigating because your opponent gets to do it. But this is a very, very powerful card. So for starters, this just lets you take care of whatever creature your opponent has, whether it's an Ulamog, or it could be that two drop, and being able to essentially Maelstrom Pulse by just removing all instance, instances of it. I mean, it can just be brutal if, you know, let's say that you play 
I don't know, you're playing Gruul and you play a bunch of copies of Burning Tree Emissary and then your opponent gets to just mop them all up. So stuff like that can be really good. It's also, it doesn't say non-token creature. So if your opponent is going wide and having like some insane make a whole bunch of tokens turn, you can just clean all of those up as well. So all in all, this is an extremely powerful card for a two drop. And the clues do come up. They do become a problem in some games, so it's not free. But overall, I just think it's a very strong card. Well, it does say non-token creature, but the good news is it says it that you don't get to investigate when you hit tokens. So if you use Declaration Stone on zombie tokens, if Field of the Dead were still a thing, you could get rid of all of them. The opponent would not get clues for those, which is pretty nice. So there's two things about Declaration Stone I want to bring up. Number one, uh, don't forget that Declaration of Stone affects both players. If you control a zombie token and they control a zombie token and you target their zombie token, both tokens are exiled, yours and theirs. There have been some feels-bads, some butt-hurt moments re- regarding this type of thing in the past. So this is what we learned when we played with Declaration in Stone in Shadows Over Innistrad, and that is it is a tempo play. It is not a control play. Because you do not want to spend your removal spell two for one in yourself, even at a really low rate. If you cast Declaration in Stone to, and remove the opponent's two drop, or even worse, their one drop, and they draw a card later, eventually you'll be the one down in the exchange. The way that you want to use Declaration in Stone is as a way to keep attacking the opponent you, or to make your combo go off. You don't want to play it in a traditional control grindy deck because your opponent gets a resource you want to play it in a deck that needs one more turn to god pharaoh's gift the opponent or uh, do something overwhelming that wins the game you're right it's all about tempo and efficiency so if you're playing a game where you're attacking your opponent and you're able to do something like remove a really key block or the best creature or an indestructible creature stuff like that and also play your own threat uh, then it can just really run your opponent over very quickly. You know, the interesting thing about deck in stone is that the first deck in stone and your opponent gets a clue, it kind of sucks, but whatever. But if you cast multiple of these in a game and your opponent starts stacking up the clues, you really start to realize the disadvantage of playing this card. I mean, maybe in Historic we have tools that we didn't have in Shadows Over Innistrad, because imagine playing deck in stone in a deck with Karn the Great Creator. They can't sack their clues. That's pretty sick. <laughs> I do like that. Yasharn would do that too. Yasharn the big pig. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So yeah, there, there are a lot of fancy things that you can do, but just overall A+. Plus. I think this is an excellent card, good situational removal spell, and an excellent addition. Now, how about this other one, CGB? Read this for us. This is one of the ones I'm most curious about, whether it's going to be at all good and historic or not. This is Thraben Inspector. This is one white for a 1-2 human soldier at common. Not that it matters because we're actually uh, not within any booster packs. So these are all, I guess it matters which wild cards you use to craft them, but you know they're all kind of rare in a way. Anyway, when Thraben Inspector enters the battlefield, investigate. So one white, 1-2, human soldier, and you get a clue, which you can sack later to draw a card. What a mediocre little wimpy piece of trash. Why does white get all the bad cards, Arjuna? Is there something I'm missing here? It's so funny because anyone who hasn't played in a meta that was overrun by Thraven Inspector could easily overlook this card. Oh yeah, 
They did, too. <laughs> Most Magic players just completely looked past this card when it was printed. Oh, that's pretty solid in draft, etc. This is the card which I heard described once, by a Magic Pro, no less, as the best white card in Pioneer. <laughs> now... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know whether that's an indication of the power level of Thraben Inspector or a, just a scathing indictment on the power level of white in general. But either way, Thraben Inspector has, again, in the formats it's been played in so far, packed more of a wallet than anyone imagined. I'm going to ask you right now, prediction, is this the best white card in Historic? I don't think so. Okay. Now, here's, here's the reason why. I think that Thraben Inspector is not just the kind of card that you throw into your average white deck because it's really good. There are certain things that have existed which have made this a playable card. So, for example, uh, in the standard that Thraben Inspector was played heavily in, we had these vehicles decks. And Thraben Inspector was like a 10 out of 10 in those decks because there were a lot of vehicles that required crewing. So you needed to get a critical mass of creatures on the battlefield. And this provided you a strong turn one play, which could, you know, it could crew your vehicles even when it was summoning sick. The other thing is that those decks actually cared about having artifacts in play. This card made another one of your two drop, your one drops, the Toolcraft Exemplar, substantially stronger. So mm -hmm. you could do things like you could curve uh, Toolcraft into a Thraben Inspector if you didn't have something better to do on turn two, and that was just a really solid curve, and then maybe both of those could tap to crew your vehicles later on in the game. That was a very, very aggro and mid-range focused meta, and so sometimes it was just a blocker that could block your opponent's vehicle one turn and was basically a cantrip. So it really justified itself in that matter. Now, in order for this card to be good, you just need to be getting multiple parts of the buffalo. So the clue has to matter, the one-two body has to matter, the tempo has to matter. So, you know, I, I'm trying to think about which decks even play white in Historic. I think that the, the deck that is currently tier one in historic that might most consider playing this would be like the auras shell perhaps oh absolutely but don't they just have better things to be doing i don't know like do, what do you think about that particular particular yeah thing? they want it they want to do other things they don't want to spend turn two drawing a card but your fail state is great like think about that deck that deck does one of two things. It either snap keeps and just curves out and smashes, or it mulligans once or twice, gets a frowny face, and then runs out of resources because it doesn't have a creature and it, like, one or two removal spells kills it. But this gives you a body, which you can suit up and force the opponent to respect, and it gives you a card that you can sack and draw later and try to rebuild. Oh, you know what I just realized, CGB? Tell me. Because I, I, I have a feeling I'm waiting to say it. So Thraben Inspector and Laris is oh. nasty wrong companion wrong companion wrong companion thraven inspector and yorian baby oh okay <laughs> all right <laughs> i see i see where your heart's going both are excellent but it, it, it plays to the point my companion's actually playable in historic so <laughs> there you go <laughs> what you didn't watch my jim davis battle did you <laughs> go ahead go ahead Anyway, the uh, Thraven, Thraven Inspector, like, it, it just plays with both, right? If you can get it back from the graveyard, awesome. If you can blink it, awesome. 
Um, it's everywhere that you can use a body and it gains a little card advantage. It's awesome. I wouldn't be stunned. Like, it wouldn't blow my mind because it was part of the way it worked in the day. If you're going to play something like a blue-white control deck, maybe you want Thraven Inspector on turn one because it's more proactive and can do some blocking or block something bigger. Uh, hold off those 1-1 go those goblins from hitting you. That stuff adds up. Uh, like, this card is a lot better than it looks. If you're playing control in a meta that's full of, like, 1-1s and X-1s, you know, that are smashing your face early in the game, then it could be a definitely a defensible include, I think. Oh, sure. I, this blocks Cauldron Familiar. How much does that chip damage add up? Yeah, it's a good point. It blocks dread the, the Dreadhorde Butcher on turn two. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it is the saddest removal spell you will ever cast if you're targeting a Thraven Inspector. It is. Yeah, it never feels good. So overall, don't underestimate the Inspector. This card consistently overperforms. It consistently punches up. It is a very good magic card. Next card on our list. Think twice. One and a blue. Instant. Draw a card. With flashback, two and a blue. <sighs> okay, here's the problem with Think Twice. I feel like Think Twice was awesome when it was first printed, but don't we just have better cards now? Like, what was the... Uh... The Ravnica it, it doesn't card. it doesn't really matter i just just compare this to light up the stage <laughs> it's it's not great basically it's just not great what a boomer card yeah what, what a piece of optimism what a nod to those of us who you know just want to play our old grizzled magic what a what an inclusion think twice is oh my gosh it, it is a little bit of a head scratcher especially since they just printed what's the escape card that's basically this card it doesn't matter because it's not good because <laughs> no one plays that card either i uh, play it against rogues and that's it yeah yeah <laughs> yep so anyway yeah think twice boomer card sweet art though this next card is the basis of one of the most famous and infamous draft decks of all time. And it comes from one of the best limited sets ever printed. The card is Spider Spawning. Four and a green sorcery. Create a 1-2 green spider creature token with reach for each creature card in your graveyard. But wait, there's more. It has flashback for six and a black. By the way, let's describe the flashback mechanic for any of those who don't know it. I, I, I think I'm right in saying that you can cast this card for its flashback cost from your graveyard and then you exile it. Is that right? Yes. Okay. That That is perfectly accurate. Okay. So you just, you get one buyback with this thing and then it's gone. In any constructed format, this card would have to be like a really strong kind of combo finish or something like that. And I probably don't see it. I think we can probably be doing stronger things with our graveyard decks in Historic, but I don't know. Do you, are you having any ideas with this? I'm confident that you can build a combo deck around this, but it will always be inferior to other options. Yeah. How do you feel about taking one of the like iconic limited cards and introducing it in a way that it cannot be played in limited. <laughs> I know. That's <laughs> what are they doing? Uh, it is kind of a feels bad, right? Because I feel like this should come into historic in a remaster set. Yes, hundred percent. Like, why wasn't this in Amonkhet remastered? Agree. Or something of that nature, right? 
which actually kind of speaks directly to the next card. Why don't you read Good that for us, CJ? Oh, yeah. More, rant, more rants incoming on this episode. Uh, it, it's kind of amazing that they can just introduce cards to w- through an anthology and find ways to make me mad, but they do it. This next card is Adorned Pouncer. Adorned Pouncer is an awesome cat with a knife for a tail that never did anything bad to anyone, but somehow... This card is from Amonkhet and was not in the Amonkhet Remastered set. It is one in a white for a creature cat at rare 1-1 double strike, Eternalize, three white white. And if you remember Eternalize from the set, you pay that cost to get a 4-4 zombie token version of the Adorn Pouncer if it was in your graveyard. So it's like flashback, but different stat line. Yeah. Which, I mean, getting to flash this thing back is pretty gas, and it gives you some resiliency on your little beater here. So, again, I ask you, CGB, is this a card that we'll be interested in playing in Historic? Absolutely not. Uh, the, the, the power level of that format's way past Adorn Pouncer at this point. Adorn Pouncer, though, was a sweet, sweet card in the very early days of arena people may not remember but there was a closed beta for arena that we're not really allowed to talk about we had ndas back then i couldn't stream it it was torture but back then we could play this adorn pouncer deck with anointed procession that you know turn four anointed procession turn five bring back double adorn pouncers two four four double strike tokens just so awesome and because it's a cat you had the um regal caracal which could give them lifelink and that was just straight fire of a deck man that deck was amazing new mouth the nummy i think built it yeah regal caracal gorgeous what a card yeah um the the only place i see this going into is maybe like some rin and sari nonsense and historic for the memes right I think that, I, you know, the cat, the Selesnya cat deck isn't a total joke, mm-hmm. mostly because it has collected company. Mm-hmm. That's really there the reason. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some people might play it there, but this is another case of, one, why was it kept out of Amonkhet Remastered? It won't be the last time we say that in this show. That's so infuriating. It, th- this card was meant for a smaller card pool, and it will never get that chance just being thrown into Historic. It makes no sense to me. Okay, so this next card is one I've never heard of before. Looks like it comes from the, what was it, Modern Horizons set. Uh, the next, yes. These next two cards are both from Modern Horizons. So let's see what's going yes. on here. Iceberg Cancrix. One and a blue snow creature crab. Oh, for, oh man, I already hate it. <laughs> oh, keep reading. Okay, whenever another snow permanent enters the battlefield under your control, you may have target player mill two cards. Which, of course, means that we're immediately going to see some kind of annoying eight crab deck in Historic, aren't we? Yes. (laughs) Because it doesn't matter if they're good, people do it anyway. Disgusting. Of course they will. So you can just, you can curve your, you know, your Ruin Crab into your Iceberg Cancrix and just go to town, you know, and then get just absolutely dumpstered by Muxus a few turns later. Whee! So, <laughs> so have fun with that. How about this next one, CGB? Well, I, I do, I do want to, I, I guess we can talk about the next one, but then I want to have another rant. Merit Lage's Slumber is the next card. One in a blue, Legendary Snow Enchantment. 
This is a rare from Modern Horizons. Whenever Merit Lages Slumber or another Snow Permanent enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control 10 or more Snow Permanents, sacrifice Merit Lages Slumber. If you do, create Merit Lage, a legendary 2020 Black Avatar creature token with flying and indestructible. Okay, so this is kind of like a Dark Depths throwback for any of you boomers out there. So was your rant going to be about snow? Yes. Yes, because it's just kind of a bummer that we basically only have one snow set on Arena. And so it really limits what you're able to do with these decks, right? Yes. Beyond that, these are the only two snow cards that you're going to get in this anthology. One of my predictions for this anthology was that we get some sweet snow cards to possibly make snow a thing in historic since it's not working out in standard. Yeah. This ain't it. This ain't it. Yep. This ain't <laughs> it. This is not even close. And they and of all the snow cards they could have introduced, I'm thinking of like Ice Fang Coatl, you know, that that sweet snake with death touch and draw a card. That's like historic power level. That would be sweet. Um, if you wanted to make keep Arkham's Astrolabe out of my historic format. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna, I was, <laughs> I was going to mention that, but I wasn't. I yeah, but I mean that's an example of a sweet card from Modern Horizons they could have introduced. There was also they could have done throwback. They could have gone to Alliances, Ice Age, and the long lost third set of that block, Cold Snap. And there are a lot of oddball snow cards. Some are absolutely nowhere near the playable level of current formats but there are some cool ones both of the like with these being the only two that they introduced it's like that i I feel like i've been given absolutely nothing it feels like nothing yeah they they really are do nothings and merit lages slumber like has this card seen any play in a constructed format i don't think so yeah no yeah so anyway not that that's gonna stop people from trying obviously but yeah don't like if you're watching your wild cards man don't get yourself as place out of merit lages slumber and think that you're gonna get there again remember muxus 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 yeah this this is a very mucked situation and i'm very mad that they didn't introduce better more interesting snow like i ugh, it, it tilts me a little i agree. missed opportunity yeah it is kind of a flop however some of the sickest art i've seen on a magic card in a long time so it is great art yeah this a is like plus. a really good desktop art right there this next card cgb is a momentous include in historic and this my friends is the first sword the first now it's not the first uh you know hard hitting actual sword equipment that has entered the format but it is the first in the famous cycle of swords that we're getting on arena so this this card is truly a throwback sword of body and mind three cost artifact equipment at mythic Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from green and from blue. Taste it, Uro. Oh, wait, you're not in the format anymore. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you create a 2-2 green wolf creature token, and that player mills 10 cards. So we're going to be, like, throwing this on our crab and freaking getting in there. And the equip cost is two. So... Uh, Again, for those of you who haven't played Boomer Magic, there is a cycle of these swords, 
and they all give a buff and they all give you a creature protection from two colors and they all give you some ability when the equipped creature deals damage and some of these cards have made their way into very 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 powerful decks in various formats so these are not to be underestimated that often people will often do stuff like you know have decks that can get cheap flyers into play or like ghost quarter decks or whatever and then you're throwing the sword on those stuff like that but um what do you what do you think cgb I'm going to sound really negative. Um, there, I don't know why this particular batch of cards that they've introduced has a lot of triggers hidden in it for me. And this is one of them, because this is, in my opinion, by a mile, the worst, the worst of that sword one. cycle. That's what Not I was going to say. Oh, it's terrible compared to the others. It, it sparks very little enthusiasm from me when I know that they could have done Light and Shadow, War and Peace, Fire and Ice, you know, three iconic swords. Body and Mind is not even in the ballpark of the power level of those. And I get not wanting to get the format taken over by Mythic Swords and Equipment because they're artifacts and they can completely shut down certain colors. But Historic is not... It, it, it is not a weak format. It is not a format that is completely dominated by, um, like, three-mana artifacts that cost two to equip that's just not going to happen here it's way too fast for that mayhem devil thinks it's hilarious when you pay mana to equip anything so i just i don't see it man i this is a mythic from this particular session and i'm glad that there are swords but why this sword why why I'm, I'm with you man this the this particular sword is a bit of a head scratcher i think it does give us a window into the fact that we might end up with all of them in the format eventually right so this could be like the the appetizer as it were i'm i i just i i, I have trouble believing that anymore like we were four anthologies deep have you seen a thematic carryover from any of them uh, there's not another eldrazi here we had ulamog in a previous one there's no other eldrazi in this one to be fair ulamog stands on its own right whereas this one no doesn't he really. comes there's always three <laughs> three there always are <laughs> <laughs> patience padawan patience (laughs) i totally feel you on this particular one being kind of a flop but i do think that there will be more i mean it's a missed opportunity if there aren't i think it's only a matter of time but you know what happens in the format in the meantime remains to be seen let's talk about why don't you read this next card for us oh sure this is just a me card all the way through and through (laughs) your favorite goblin gavalier one red, one one goblin cr- warrior. Trample. When goblin gavalier gets plus. Go- oh, sorry, not when. Goblin gavalier gets plus two plus oh for each equipment attached to it. I see what you did there, especially since I'll quickly read the next card here Bone Splitter, which is an artifact that costs one mana. It's an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus oh, and the equip cost is one. So it seems like they're giving us two, you know, somewhat famous equipments here, and then a nice little critter that can wear it in the format. I don't know, Goblin Gavalier, this one doesn't stand out in my mind. Has this been a player in constructed formats? I've never seen this card in my life. Neither have I. So it seems, (laughs) it's, what's that set symbol, by the way? I have no idea what that is. Yeah, this card is weird. 
sure i mean you're gonna play this and then you're gonna throw bone splitter on it on turn it's the richard garfield reject series (laughs) thought about printing it decided it was too lame and not worth the cardboard it would cost to make it but wait now we have arena (laughs) i mean again the thing that most bothers me about these cards is that they would have all been totally sick in a draft set right so It's a little bit annoying that we're getting them in this historic anthology because I would have drafted the heck out of both of these cards. When we get Bonesaw, though. Bonesaw, now we're talking. That is a zero mana equipment that costs one to equip and gives the equipped creature plus one plus zero. Simple little card, but you throw that on this sucker and you've got a four one for one. Many implications. And one equip. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, do you see this having a spot? I I don't think equipment is nearly a big enough part of Historic, and I don't think the cards we see are going to change that. So here's the thing. Uh, Okay, this card is a decent combo with Embercleave, I suppose, but only Embercleave, basically. And we have, you know, so many strong cards to put in red decks in Historic, I don't... I mean, do you really need... Like, if you're throwing an Embercleave on something, you'd rather be going on your Annex or something like that, right? Do you know what's also a good combo with Embercleave? Just every any, other creature that's better than this. Any good creature, exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> every single creature. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't need to make Embercleave better, basically. So yeah, Goblin Gavalier, I don't I don't really see it hitting. What about the Colossal Hammer deck? Maybe. I mean, doesn't that deck already have better equipment as well though? Yeah. Better bodies is probably what we're really looking for. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of funny when you mention Bonesaw, like there are a lot of decks that just play Bonesaw because it's a zero cost artifact, right? <laughs> so it doesn't really matter what it's doing. Bonesaw is Spider-Man throwback. Anyway, we've probably expended enough bile on that particular row of cards. I've got to save some for the next row. Okay, so, so take us into this next card, CGB. Torment of Scarabs. Three and a black for an enchantment or a curse at uncommon. Enchant player. At the beginning of enchanted player's upkeep, that player loses three life unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card. Just totally a historic playable card, bro. Four mana curse. Uh, was a defining piece of that limited format. Yeah, it was good limited. It was actually, like, you could draft a curse deck... And it wasn't embarrassing because of Torment of Scarabs. Yeah. I mean, fun card. That card could do it. Cool design. Little little bit under the power level of the format, I would say. Just a little. Quite a bit under the power of the historic format. It does make the curse deck playable for the nerds who strictly want to play the curse deck, I guess. Yeah. I'm going to save my rant for this row till the end so we can keep going through it. Okay. Next card, Flameblade Adept, one red mana. God, do I have to read this card? Because all I really want to say about it is that it is not Monastery Swift Spear. The end. Read it. Read it. (laughs) Okay. Monastery Slow Spear, Flameblade Adept, Creature Jackal Warrior, Menace, one, two. Whenever you cycle or discard a card, Flameblade Adept gets plus one, plus oh, until end of turn. Why does it say cycle or discard a card when cycling requires you to discard a card? Uh, It's so that other effects that discard cards also buff it. Yeah, but if it just said discard a card, that would still, like, cycling would trigger it, right? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe there are effects. So if an effect prevents you from discarding, but you cycle, does that still count as a cycle? Yeah, I I, I regret asking this question. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure that the I'm sure some rules wizard can help us out with this. Okay, basically, once upon a time, they printed a card called Monastery Swift Spear. It was a very good magic card. Much later, they printed Flameblade Adept. It's not a good magic card. Shall we move on? Uh, is there anything like the Hollow One deck in Modern where you end up discarding a lot of cards? I guess we have Cathartic Reunion, but that existed in Standard with Flame Blade Adept and went nowhere. Yeah. It, it, it's, it reads like a card that is potentially abusable, because Menace is nice, the 1-2 body isn't embarrassing, and there's a way to hit for more with it, but the card has never turned out good. I would want to try it in the Modern Cycling deck. Like This isn't Flourishing Fox, but it will get in for a hit. Yeah, it's a card you could maybe consider in your standard cycling deck. Although, is this really better than a fox? It's not better than a fox in my opinion. I yeah. think it plays well with the fox so that you don't have to rely on slower cards like Dranith, Healer, and Stinger. But I, it's probably not going to fix cycling in Historic. I don't think that there's a chance of that. Yep, I agree. Well, let's see if this next card saves it for us, CGB. Faith of the Devoted is two and a black for an enchantment at Uncommon. When you cycle or discard a card, you may pay one. If you do, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Faith of De the Devoted was the win con in the, what is it, New Perspectives cycling deck I used to play that I didn't even try to play when Amonkhet Remastered came out because these cards weren't in Amonkhet Remastered. And here's my rant. Why the hell... Are these taking up space in my historic anthology where we could take cards from anywhere in magic history and put them into the anthology and introduce cool stuff to historic? Why are we taking up space in it with cards that should have been in Amonkhet Remastered to begin with? The defense rests. I, I couldn't agree more. There's, there's no counter argument, basically. I, I'm so tilted, man. Yep, these cards are not where they should have been, and they are where they shouldn't have been. If I'm buying this historic anthology, it's not because of these cards. Let's just put it that way. I could say more about that, but honestly, you made your argument very well, and I think it is a strong argument, CGB. <laughs> I would take like a really terrible rare legendary creature that is completely unplayable from the dark, and I would be happier about that than any of these cards that should have already been in the remastered set. Let me ask you, CGB, do we have Hollow One in Historic? We do, right? We do. Okay, all right, that's cool. But do we have the means to discard and make it pay off? I don't think we have Burning Inquiry, yeah, do we? Yeah, no. I, I don't, yeah, the enablers aren't quite No there. Faithless Looting, of course. You know that what would have be been a good. sick inclusion in this is the the uh, the three CMC 3-3 three, three zombie that comes back from the graveyard when you... Prized Amalgam? Yes, wouldn't that have been a cool card in Hell, this anthology? Let, let, let's introduce the whole dredge deck. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing. All right. Ne next card on the list. A four-cost elf, so probably won't see play just for that alone. Lease Alana Hunt Master. Two green green creature elf warrior at common. 3-3. Three, three. Whenever you cast an elf spell, you may create a 1-1 one, one green elf warrior creature token didn't we just get the better and still maybe not playable two mana version of this card 
We did. Yeah. So uh, so you are so late to the party at this point, Lissalana. <laughs> yep. I mean, sweet dogs, Lise. I, I like your dogs. But apart from that, man, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> All right. How about this next card, CGB? Abomination of Lanawar is one in a black and a green Commander Legends card. It's a legendary elf horror. And it has vigilance and menace. And it has power and toughness equal to the number of elves you control plus the number of elves in your graveyard. So I guess this is another Golgari elf. We just got a bunch of Golgari elves in Kaldheim. Having said that, cards like this just don't tend to get there in regular constructed. It's literally a shame that, just yeah. a stat ball. The abilities are not very relevant if the opponent plays any removal spell ever. But I think that elf fans are going to enjoy it a little bit. It, it is giving elves a reason to play black, which they were kind of thinking about doing because of Tyvar and some of the other stuff going on in Kaldheim. It does fit in the collected company spot. I think there are going to be some people excited about making a massive abomination of Lanawar. You know, Coco's a good point. If you can Coco this out and reliably have it be like a 6-6 six, six or something, then you definitely got your money's worth. It is legendary. It's probably a one over two of in your elf deck. It's it, And it can be your brawl, your historic brawl commander. Mm -hmm. So that's fun that for some chill. people. Yeah. Honestly, I most see this as like, if an elves deck has some kind of fling combo or something, then maybe you play this deck. So it's, What? I don't know, man. I'm just reaching. Y you want to have an elven fling. Okay, I get it. I, 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 I read those fantasy uh, novels as a kid. I, too, was into some of the hot dark elves and wanted an elvish fling. I get it. <laughs> I mean, okay, if I was flinging with an elf, it would probably be Lisa Lana instead of this abomination, but... That is, eh. yeah, I would not be flinging with that elf at all. That The art is, the, the art is terrifying. Okay, speaking of cards that were left out of sets for some random reason, why don't you read this next card for us? Inspiring Statuary is three colorless mana artifact at rare from Aether Revolt. Aether Revolt, well done, well done, buddy. And, you know, that set that was part of Kaladesh Remastered. Yes. And uh, it says non-artifact spells you cast have improvised. And what I want to say before you, you, we get your take is that this is probably the reason I'm so salty because how how many games did I spend trying to make the paradoxical outcome deck work without this? And it was there all along. We thought they couldn't code it or we thought it was too complicated or we thought it might break the format and they were just slow rolling They were us. just holding out on us, man. Yeah, this, this really does feel like the... Uh... It feels like the remastered graveyard is what this anthology feels like, which is kind of tilting, I agree. So Inspiring Statuary, however, it's here now. It has some of the sickest art. It's one of my favorite magic card arts ever. It is a very cool card. It didn't quite get there in standard, did it? Oh, Statuary? Yeah. It was part of the Paradoxical Outcome deck in standard. It was the key piece. And that deck had its times when it was competing for the top tier. Okay, all right. So it was like a, maybe a tier two deck, perhaps. Tell us about that deck, since it seems near and dear to your heart. Oh, sure. Paradoxical Outcome says that you can return any number of permanents that aren't lands to your hand and draw a card for each one. So you draw a whole bunch of 
uh, cards by bouncing a whole bunch of permanents. And the deck contained a lot of cheap artifacts and cards like Ornithopter that cost zero, so that you could just play them all again and draw huge amounts of cards when you cast Paradoxical Outcome. Most of that stuff made it into the anthology. What was missing was a mana engine so that you could cast Paradoxical Outcome, draw into another outcome, play all your cheap stuff, then pick all those up, draw, and keep going. So you could have really awesome turns with um, your Paradoxical Outcome deck in Historic, but you always eventually had to say go, and then you did basically nothing but bounce your own board, and then the opponent kills you. With, Empire, with Inspiring Statuary creating mana... Uh, for all of the non-artifact cards, these would be cards like Baral's Expertise that return things back to your hand, so then you play the artifacts again, now they're untapped, on and on it goes, Mox Amber, Psy, Master Thopterist, etc., etc., make a Thopter everything you play. Now with Inspiring Statuary, you keep going, so you can basically draw your deck within that turn, play out, make a million Thopters, and find a way to win. Um, so... I, I'm guessing, like, here's here's a card I want to give Improvise to that I want to tap my Army of Thopters to cast in this deck. All Runs Epiphany. Okay, I'm feeling it. I'm yeah. feeling it. You, you, you see what I mean? I do. So if you cast Paradoxical Outcome and you draw, like, eight cards, and then you cast All Runs Epiphany using mana from Inspired Statuary, and you untap and take another turn, you're probably not going to lose. Yep. That's a good point. You were trying this with the Psy Master Thopterist. Were there any other things that you were trying as a win con? As a win con? Because mm-hmm. uh, you do actually yeah, need to win. I, I'm trying to remember the things that I was doing to win. The one that was most popular when Inspiring Statuary was around was Aetherflux Reservoir. Okay. Because you would play all your zeros over and over and over, gaining right, tons of life from the of reservoir. Life. Okay. And then you would eventually 50 shot them in the face. And we do have that card. So Yep, that card exists. But I couldn't I couldn't play enough things to do it in in historic in that outcome deck because we didn't have the mana engine. Right. So, so maybe, now we do. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> this could lead to some cool stuff. I mean, I, I hope so, because I did love the Paradox. I, I'll probably try If I actually craft some cards from this, it would probably be this one, because I want to I relive my days of Paradoxical Outcome. Your, your glory days. No, I was terrible. <laughs> well, uh, things are continuing to improve here, because they printed another card, which I think could definitely show up in the format. This is Cold Steel Heart, two mana snow artifact. And it ETBs tapped as it enters the battlefield, choose a color, and you can add one mana of the chosen color. So um, this is a very, very efficient mana rock, and it can generate colored mana for you, which is cool. It wouldn't be surprising to me if this showed up in various decks in the format. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I actually forgot to notice this. It is a snow artifact, so it does produce snow mana, because it's a permanent that produces mana, and it's snow. Which could be relevant at some point. It's not nearly enough for the snow deck. No, that's but, true. That's true. Is this better than Mindstone? Well, I was gonna say like Mindstone sees a lot of play in the format. Um, I don't know whether it's better than Mindstone, but it definitely solves some problems that Mindstone can't solve for you. So, yes, being a ramp spell that you can play in decks that don't typically ramp, and being a ramp spell that can produce colored mana could be, you know, very impactful. So 
This is, I mean, not necessarily that this is the deck you're going to build, but if you're trying to do something like get out a Phyrexian Obliterator very quickly, right? Or like other cards that have very, very heavy colored requirements, then a card like this could really help. I think it's great also for Brawl decks, historic Brawl decks that aren't specifically aggressive. Yep. Like, it's just a really solid play. Yeah, it's just cheap, man. I mean, and okay, ETB's tapped, but honestly, the Mind Stone often doesn't do anything for you the turn you cast it. Sometimes it does, right? I think the main benefit of the Mind Stone is that you can cantrip it, which is a strong play. But I just think that the colored mana in some decks is going to be worth the investment. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's It doesn't jump out to me as like an immediately A-plus card or anything, but we've just seen a lot of mind decks playing Mind Stone in historic and it wouldn't surprise me if if some of them played this card okay this next card cgb is definitely one to take note of so why don't you take us through this blink moth nexus is a land it is rare it taps for a colorless for one generic mana you can turn blink moth nexus into a one one Link Moth Artifact Creature with Flying until end of turn. It's still a land. And for one and a tap, target Blink Moth Creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Okay, so this is like our first Muta Vault in, uh, in Historic, basically. Kind of. It's a decent one. Mm -hmm. uh, it has evasion, so it does pink in there for some damage. And when you have multiples of it, they can make each other grow, which is a trick that usually gets people. I played with this in standard. It did make its way into a number of decks. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not sure if it's going to be a high impact card in historic. I feel like this might be, this, this card might not be it anymore. It might not yeah. be enough impact. Yeah. It doesn't have the poison counter aspects that the other one does, right? So that's a big demerit on it. I guess it fits in the artifact theme, you know, like uh, this an inspiring statuary can help because you can improvise with it after you turn it on. I, I don't know. Maybe. It also, it, it interestingly, if you're playing like an affinity thing, people who have played old affinity decks know this, it can tap itself for mana and then use that mana to turn itself into an artifact. Yes. So if you have something that requires artifacts in play, this at instant speed can just, boom, it, you have an artifact out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. You can, I, I don't know, cards like this just lead to shenanigans. If you have any kind of equipment deck, you know, and you can afford to run these in your mana base, then it's just an extra way to keep your equipment just blasting the opponent. Cards like this are really cool, and they can show up in surprising places and do some fantastic stuff. So, I, yeah, I'm a fan of this printing. I just, I think it's got to show up somewhere eventually. Next card on the list. And it, <laughs> the press release here says the classic theme, Elephant versus Crocodile. So here we go. Hamza, Guardian of Arishin, four green white for a legendary creature, Elephant Warrior. This is also a Commander Legends card. Five, five, the spell costs one less to cast for each creature you control with a plus one, plus one count. Oh no. Oh no, here we go. All right, with a plus one, plus one counter on it. And creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Do you? Do you see? I don't know if I'm seeing what you're seeing. 
<laughs> what do you what, what, what do you think of this card are you excited i'm about as excited for this card as i am for the selesnia counters archetype in historic which is not that excited hey hey abzan counters okay Winding constrictor hello fair enough fair enough i i mean that deck's not play it wasn't playable before and i don't see this card making it playable the reason it was almost playable is a certain card that we've talked about many times collected company Yep. This card does not work with Collected Company. Yep. But like you, I look for the, I look for signs. I try to read the tr- the tea leaves. I've just lost faith that they actually mean anything. But seeing all these Commander Legends cards being introduced makes me hope that Historic, Historic Brawl is Brawl. coming as a regular play mode. Yep. But, yep. but I'm not willing to bet on it. I mean, they haven't given us reason to believe that they were going to do it in the past. So who knows? Despite it being like one of the most requested and arguably most easily implemented features on arena so i don't know man i don't know either basically but um yeah would be definitely a fun build around in that format for sure how about this next card amit eternal is two and a black for a five five zombie crocodile demon (laughs) at rare and it has afflict three so i believe that means it deals damage in minus one minus one counters if i remember correctly and whenever uh, I, and I don't think no. that's it. It's when it what gets it? when it gets blocked. Uh, it either deals three damage to the opponent or they lose three life. It's one of those. Oh, yeah. you're right. It's not in fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But you know, still Weird. a fairly strong ability on an aggressive creature. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, put a minus one, minus one counter on Amit Eternal. Whenever Amit Eternal deals combat damage to a player, remove all minus one, minus one counters from Amit Eternal. This card was not in Amonkhet, remastered, and it's here for some reason. I'm a broken record. Take it away, Arjuna. I'm trying to remember, this card didn't see any play in standard, did it? Correct. I'm trying to remember why it didn't. It reads as a like a love struck beast with upside. I guess it didn't end up being that way. It's actually a, yeah. It's it's a hidden three mana three three because the opponent just plays some spells yeah. sometimes at instant speed, blocks it, and it does three damage sometimes, but often just dies. Yeah, that's it. It's the kind of card where like in your head you're like, well, I'm gonna cast this on turn three, and then they'll do something, and then I'll like remove that blocker with a removal spell and i'll swing in and then it'll be a five five again or whatever but it's just one of those cards that it just it clearly the best case scenario you have in your mind was just not playing out hardly any of the time otherwise because i mean you know like a five five with a flick three four three mana is an amazing deal and an incredible aggressive creature and so anyway it just didn't pan out apparently would you rather play rotting regisaur yeah probably me too (laughs) there you go i'm already having fun with at least one card on this row but we'll we'll start you know we'll 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 start here why don't you read sawtusk demolisher for us sawtusk demolisher is four green green for a creature beast from commander 20 i believe uh six six trample oh yeah it's the commander set that we released around ikoria that's what it was anyway um it's a six six trample with a mutate, ah. three and a green. All right. And whenever this creature mutates, destroy target non-creature permanent. Its controller creates a three-three green beast creature token. Oh, now- back. 
Kind of. We, we are now destroying things and replacing them with elks. I can say I am probably the only one of the two of us who has cast Sawtusk Demolisher. I have done it. It, it. it was a card I put into my Eluna Apex of Wishes commander deck. And it is perfectly decent at that, but uh, Mutate is still unplayable as a competitive archetype in Historic, I, I, I can comfortably say. Yeah, this does strike me, though, as one of the stronger Mutate cards. I mean, just like a 6-6 six, six for 4 is is solid, and it gets to blow up something of your opponent's, right? So if Mutate were to be a thing in Historic, uh, I would definitely consider I, running this card. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying it's a good Mutate creature. It is a good Mutate creature, and yeah. Mutate's a bad mechanic. Sure, sure. But like, if this was in yeah. Standard, it would 100% go into your Mutate deck, right? Sure. <laughs> okay, we we've got we've got opinion uh CGB's opinion on this card for regular constructed. I mean, I'm not I don't know. I'm not making any argument. I'm just saying it's a it's an aggressively costed mutate creature. Okay, one might call it a harmless offering, which is what this next card is, and uh it is a two and a red sorcery at rare. Target opponent gains control of target permanent you control. And of course, what this means is that we're now able to play Cat Pact in Historic. You should give the context of the history of the fine, fine, fine art that is Cat Pact. So the deck is basically you play Demonic Pact and a bunch of other cards, and it's this kind of bizarre control deck. And all you're trying to do is get to a point in the game where Demonic Pact has the lose the game mode on it and as the only available mode. And then you gift the enchantment to your opponent. And then on that upkeep, they lose the game. Chris Patello took down a tournament. I don't remember what the tournament was, but it was... It, okay, I, I actually have this. I, I think he got second, to be honest. Oh, was it Maybe second? Okay. But he, but I mean, it was a Grand Prix. It was like a 2000 player Grand Prix Portland. Okay. So a big standard tournament, and nobody expected quote-unquote <laughs> cat-packed to come out of it. And, like, I, I, Chris Patello is now streaming. He's a member of Rivals. He's a very talented Magic player with a very legit resume. I can tell he's a little bit eye-rolling because I do this to him in chat rooms. I, I'm like, you're the cat-packed guy! <laughs> because he will always be the cat-packed guy. Like, yeah. like coverage loved him. And they were just constantly putting him on camera and being like, he's playing Cat Pact! And like he, he, he really did make a reputation around this deck, and that's why it's kind of famous in Magic history. And probably the reason that we have Harmless Offering coming to Historic to be played next to Demonic Pact. I'm not going to lie, man. I'm definitely, definitely, definitely going to build a cat pack text for Historic. I love packs, man. Like, I, that was one of the first things I did when, when that last anthology came out, was just throw together a Yorian pact and start having fun. So, can you think of another card that you want to give your opponent with incredible downside? I was just thinking about that, man. I've got one. Nine lives with eight counters and a way to remove it or deal a damage. Yep. <laughs> Nine lives plays fairly well in the packed deck, right? Because it keeps you alive. Yes, it does. That's pretty gas. Okay. You just then need a way to damage the opponent or remove the nine lives to finish them off. Yep. Um, 
So I guess a way to make the opponent sacrifice enchantment or a recyclone summoner return permanence to their owner's hand, something river's rebuke, something like that. Yep. Could be fun. Cleansing Nova. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm trying to think if there are any other cards that say you lose the game on them in Historic. Maybe not, but is there anything devastating like destroy all lands you control or something trolly like that? Could be. I don't know. Or how about like, is there a creature? I, I like Rotting Registaur is the one I can think of. You wouldn't want to give that to your opponent, but is there any other creature or permanent that just has a pretty debilitating upkeep on it? That's Yeah, that's just that bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean somebody out there listening this is their expertise this is their wheelhouse taking the unplayable and making it playable and they are sounding off with all of the absolute absolute garbage level cards in historic and like, i don't know what they I are i can't believe arjun and cgb aren't remembering any of these genius cards they're such bad what a magic lose, players what losers man who gave I, them a podcast I, I, my life has been waiting for this moment, and I'm getting in comments right now. <laughs> and these guys biffed it, and I am pissed. All right, how about this next card? Collected Conjuring is two blue and red for a sorcery. Rare. Modern Horizons again? I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exile the top six cards of your library. Oh, no. You may cast up to again. two sorcery spells with mana value three or less. From among them, without paying their mana cost, put the exile cards not cast this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. It is Sorcery Speed Collected Company for Sorceries. Arjuna, what are you doing with this card? I'm shaking my head because this whole exile of top six cards of your library theme needs to die a horrible death in a fire. I don't care. No, Arjuna. I don't we care. We need if... a slot machine in magic. <laughs> I don't care if this card is good or not. It doesn't seem particularly good to me, but I'm sure someone will come up with something. But I'm just so over it, dude. I'm just so over it. Okay. So. You're not going to use this to hit Harmless Offering in your cat pack deck. I, well, I was just thinking, yeah, it's a pretty gassy combo with that, right? Um, yeah. Mana value three or less. Instant. No, it's just no. sorcery spells. Only sorceries. Oh, that makes it so much worse. It really does, doesn't oh, it? Oh, dude. I was like, I was starting to think about it when I thought it was instant and sorcery. I'm off it, man. I'm super. You're off it already? I'm off it. What deck Zero plays, effort. What deck plays only sorceries? All right, this one goes out. This this is prob- This is may or may not be the same person as the harmless packed person we just talked about who's been waiting their whole life for this moment. Yeah. You out there with the three mana sorceries that are just not playable in Historic. You've been waiting. This is it. Do it. It's like, um, okay. I, I will tell you, I want to hit timely reinforcements well, I was just, like twice. I was just going to say Red. like you could have a deck with anger of the gods and timely reinforcements and, you know, stuff, some kind of bizarre sorcery control deck right it sounds like it's built only to beat goblins like that's that's the only thing it exists to do and even then it might not right because it doesn't really stop muxus and you can't play cage because they they really they really put a ceiling on this card three mana like how good are three mana sorceries generally and like two and one mana sorceries, it's like whatever, cool. Search up a land from your deck Dude, or whatever they do. Four know. mana, 
two thought seasons. You're welcome. Oh, You're welcome. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like in order for this card to be good, you have to play a sorcery's tribal deck, right? And then you just have to like scour your thoughts for all of the playable sorceries. And at the end of it, what have you done? Stabilize your board, make your opponent discard a couple of cards. We're hardly doing it. So I might actually play this in like a Grixis Harmless Offering deck because Harmless Offering is so important, right? It's like if you if you don't have the Offering when you need the Offering, you lose the game. Okay? Can you imagine casting this and having hitting Harmless Offering with nothing to offer? <laughs> that would be pretty bad. It would be pretty bad. Actually, is it even optional? Um, you may. Okay, it is you may. I was like, oh, that would be okay. horrible if you just had to give them your lands. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty bad. Good good job. Good magic. You, you know what I want to do with Harmless Offering? If an opponent hits me with a Relic Robber, I want to give them that stupid artifact back. Taste it. I don't feel like you're unlocking the, the full power of the card. <laughs> That's not impressive to you, CGB? I, I've, I've been more impressed in my life. I've been more impressed with four mana cards that start with collect, okay? Yes. Anyway, CGB, they saved the best for last in this anthology. Well, I guess we'll see, but I'm going to let you do the honors on this card. Thank you. The last card is Death's Shadow. It is one black for a creature avatar that is a 13-13. Not bad. Let's just Not stop bad. right there. Yep. Um, but Death's shadow gets minus x minus x where x is your life total right so So if we play this on turn one without doing anything else uh, it gets minus 20 minus 20 and dies indeed indeed so what life total do you have to be at or below to cast this card I mean, it depends if you want it to live. <laughs> assuming that's, that's assuming, assuming you point. want it to live, the answer is 12. Right. So, for starters, if you're going to build a plan around this card, you need to be aggressively damaging yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, remind me, I know that this card has been strong in modern. There's one yes. other old format it's been strong in, which is... Legacy? Legacy? Okay. That's what I, I, I think Death Shadow Legacy made a run. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this card was basically a meme for a very, very long time. But then some combination of people, including Jerry Thompson, eventually figured out how to do it. And it has had some really dominant weekends. I mean, it's been the best deck in the format at different times. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely dominated the modern format for... There were like probably two years there where you couldn't talk about modern without considering Death Shadow. Yeah. And that uh, kind of all changed with Eldraine because Eldraine <laughs> brought the, like oh everything else, God. right? Eldraine yeah. just brought a different, it just changed the world. And it's unclear if Death Shadow is ready to come back or not to that world. This is going to be Death Shadow's kind of opportunity to fight in that arena. See what I did there? And uh, see if it can prove itself. Here's my problem with Death Shadow. If if you play this card and your opponent plays a cat in an oven, how do you feel? Oh, God. Yeah, man. It's not great. It's not great. 
<laughs> well, that I mean that brings me to my disappointment with the card, which is this card actually gets stronger in the more degenerate formats because a lot of those formats you're likely to play against decks that don't didn't come ready to do a lot of blocking, right? Uh-huh. So right. in a format in which your opponents are like casting a lot of cheap cantrips and trying to assemble some kind of one-turn combo kill or whatever, and they're not interested in playing creatures, they're not even particularly interested in playing removal spells if they can get away with not doing it, um, it can be quite good because this card can just be like, you know, a two-shot kill or you can play a couple of them in a turn and just kill your opponent next turn, stuff like that, right? So it's really, really good in formats like that. But like goblins... Like, do you ever want to be playing a, a Death Shadow deck in a format with goblins? Hard to yeah, believe. I find it. It was a format that this dominated, where removal, where you could, like you said, play kind of a setup game and then play one or two of these and remove one or two blockers and win. You know, removal spells were decent. Like Fatal Push is the best card in Modern around that time. Uh, it fundamentally, like, Fatal Push changed Modern and made Death Shadow a really good deck because, like, creatures weren't that good, so they weren't on the battlefield often, and the ones that were got removed by Fatal Push. That's, like, Fatal Push is a medium card in Historic because, like, value is infinite, all the threats do a million different things, all the creature decks are super linear. It, it, it's hard to... It's hard to see it, but I we do have Thoughtseize, which is one of the premier cards to play with Death Shadow. We now have the Bolt lands and the Shock lands, so we can reduce our life total very quickly. Yeah, now those we, are things we don't in its have favor. Fetch lands, so that's one thing we still don't have. I think that the combination of Bolt lands and Shock lands will get the job done. I think that's going to be okay. I. If this were introduced to standard, like we've seen uh, Scourge of the Skyclaves, right? And that card hasn't taken off at all in standard because the bolt lands aren't enough. Um, Plus, you have to damage the opponent. Scourge is a much worse card overall. Death Shadow has a chance, but I I don't know how you're going to get it through. Like, there's too many 1-1 goblins. There's Thraven Inspector now. There's uh cat oven so you have to get it through so the brewers are going to have to figure out how to make their death shadow hit the opponent and kill them yep you know <laughs> you know what card is really another card's really good against death shadow <laughs> claim the firstborn <laughs> oh my god oh well maybe but is that how you get it through well do you play claim and steal their blocker and, well, it could be, but imagine if your opponent claims your Death Shadow. It either A, kills you, or B, dies immediately, right? Yeah, yeah, it might It might just immediately die because then it's minus X minus X to their life total. Yeah, this card against this card in Claim, with or against Claim, seems so rough. <laughs> and then, I mean, you just, you already highlighted it. Fatal Push is in the format. A Death Shadow dies pretty hard to Fatal Push. You know, imagine if you spent the first couple of turns of the game getting yourself down to 10 life or whatever, and then your opponent just fatal pushes your shadow. It's got to feel pretty bad. I'm trying... uh, Oh, yeah, and the burn decks in Historic are very robust. Gruul is super aggressive and will Ember Cleave right through most things. I'm trying to think of a, a deck in Historic that is popular that Death Shadow is good against. We need Trample. We need We need Evasion. If we don't have it, I don't know how you can rely on this card because Historic is still very much a dorks on the battlefield format. Like, every good deck in Historic is playing to the battlefield. 
So, I mean, yeah, that really highlights the main issue, right? Is that decks in Historic are either flooding the battlefield with with a lot of creatures, or they're coming teched to kill decks that are playing a lot of creatures. So, either way, it doesn't line up very well. Maybe there's a way that you play Death Shadow with, like, Anger of the Gods, and you sweep all their little dorks, and then you smash in. You know, that that's that's a place that I mentally go. Right. I'm still skeptical, but I mean, it's an exciting card. I'm, this is what I think the anthology should be. Yes. I, I'm going to give it credit for that. Exciting cards that make us really think about the format and cards that are so powerful that we want to figure out how to fit them into the format because we know there's potential there and they have a little nostalgia flair. I own a Death's Shadow. The only format I play in paper is Commander. This is the worst Commander card of all time. Because you have 40 life. Uh, but I, I, I still haven't sold my Death Shadow. I hang on to it because I know it's, I think it's a cool card. Uh, so this is what anthologies, historic anthologies, 100% should be. I'm not mad that this card is involved. I'm not sure how to make it work. But that's okay. I don't have to know exactly how to make it work on the first pass. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. However, the presence of this card and that Skyclave, what is it called? Skyclave? Scourge of Scourge the Skyclaves. Scourge of the Skyclaves, right? Yeah. So we've got kind of two two cards now that are pushing in the same direction. So maybe, I'm sure that Adventurous Brewers are going to, you know, throw together some kind of a deck and try to get the job done with those cards. And we hey, will... Hey, we got Luris too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. Like, Just don't attack or block with it. You gain life. And... Like, think, think about a deck. Oh, yeah, it's like a Laris deck that plays those two cards. It also plays like a bunch of thought seizes and like, you know, so it's kind of like doing this disruptive, gently controlly thing and then just like trying to end the game with just bringing back death shadows and scourges repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. I don't know. Maybe. You're you're so cute with lines like death, like softly control. I I don't understand. I control hard. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, cards like Death Shadow should be in historic. I think it's a welcome inclusion, and we'll look forward to seeing what it does. All right, I think that that wraps up this episode of the Arena Craft Podcast. CGB, do you have anything to drop on us before we depart? I want more Death Shadows. I want less of just about it. I, uh, oh, you know, let's let's say what is the most likely card in this to shake historic? Okay, I'm I'm point. calling Thraben Inspector. Okay, so you're coming in on Thraben Inspector. I am. Um, for me, you know, this is a long. It's a long shot, speculative shot, but I'm gonna say Blink Moth Nexus. Okay, that is definitely a spec one. I think my second place would be Inspiring Statuary, and then Death Shadow. Okay, there you go. I think as far as cards that are like going to immediately be played, I think Harmless Offering, like I think Cat Packed decks are going to be a thing. I don't really care how good they are. I'm just stoked about it. Understood. Yeah, so that that's just like a ladder deck I'm expecting to run into. But yeah, most of the rest of the cards on this list are like just just don't ever look at them or ever think about them ever again. Yeah, um, I, that was another thing. Like, what would you craft? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it it's sweet that they threw in cards like Thraben Inspector because that's just an easy craft with your common wild cards yep. and you're off to the races and happy about it. 
Snapcraft. Yeah, I think, you know, I might end up with one or two copies of Deck and Stone in my sideboard. It's a perfect sideboard card for just very particular matchups that you might be worried about. And then, let's see, what else? Yeah, apart from the Pact, I agree with you that Inspiring Statuary has a lot of potential. It's one of the kind of more powerful cards on this list. Only if you like that kind of deck. Yeah, like, you know, sure. you know right now listening if Inspiring Statuary appeals to you, artifact kind of combo-y decks, like, then then you craft it. The, so, so the Paradox engine has definitely highlighted to us that, yes, there are, you know, literally legions of historic players willing to craft and play decks like that if they're good, right? And... I think that Inspiring Statuary is a Paradox Engine power level of card. So it's just a question of whether the shell comes together and, you know, whether people are excited about it. But I can guarantee you that if there is any kind of a viable deck on the ladder that plays Inspiring Statuary, people will craft it and they'll play it and they'll have fun with it. All right. Well. That concludes this week's episode of the Arena Craft Podcast. And you can find us pretty much everywhere. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. Stop by, drop a comment, say hello. Of course, join our Discord just to hang out and have fun. And uh, if you want to ask questions and just get a little bit more behind the scenes of the podcast, that's a great way to do it. You can also go and catch Covert Go Blue on his YouTube channel, releasing a video every day without fail. He also streams on the Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash covert go blue. Soon to be covert go white. All right, CGB. <laughs> Thanks again, man. And I will catch you next week. Later, crafties. Questions? Yes, I'm ready. Um, I'll I'll answer the first one for you. I don't need to look. Uh, What makes me so great? Yes, it is the actual fact that I sleep somewhere around 10 hours a night without fail. That is a superpower that I very much wish I had, CGB. Yes, most people do, and it's the reason I am the one in the best of one or whatever. (laughs) You just, do you also eat Wheaties for breakfast every day? No, I I eat the tears of red mages and they sustain me. Okay, and 12 raw eggs. True fact, actually, I make bacon and sausage for every breakfast. Potatoes when I can, and I have about 15 dietary supplement pills I take. Oh, okay, so that's (laughs) the real secret. So I don't need to stop all day for another meal. I just go, and I just work right through. No food breaks. It reminds me of the English breakfast, which I think was basically designed to be that. They were like, let's just combine all of the food you were going to eat for lunch and dinner into your breakfast. And then back when the English cared about hard work. Yes. (laughs) Cared about hard work, a.k.a. worked in a factory for 12 hours a day. Yes. (laughs) I I just made some people angry and I love it. (laughs) The people who invented the Industrial Revolution, no less. Uh, Anyway, okay, so the real question we're going to answer this week 